a listener production. Welcome along to episode 117, part B of the Howie Games, featuring the greatest surfer of all time, Kelly Slater. Let's keep going. How do you keep, over such a long period of time, generating your sport? So the way you would have won your world title, your first world title, compared to your last world title, it's a completely different thing. In that period, surfing went away from the wave to above the wave. You've probably won with, I don't know, you tell me how many different styles of surfing you've won world titles with, but as an athlete, how do you continue to change the game as you have to remain competitive through three or four generations? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know how many generations there's been, you know? Because like I said, I, my, when I first started surfing world tour contests, Technically, my first world tour event ever was in 1984, and I beat a guy named <laughs> Mike Newling from Narrabeen, who was wow. a, um, a big dude. He was over 200 pounds, you know, like probably over 100 kilos or around 100 kilos. And the waves were in like knee high waves in Florida. <laughs> so poor guy, he had to come serve against some little rug rat in Florida that, could, that waves were probably chest high for. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, sorry, I just sidetracked. I was just trying to think of how many generations. Because when I got on tour, I was the first of my generation to get on tour, uh, of my age group, of, of my, of my. When I say my generation, I mean my good friends that I yes. that I grew up traveling surfing with. Um, and then they came on, so that was like I was with that generation before, and that was still like you still had. I don't think Sean Thompson was on tour, but kind of like a couple guys from that era were still there. And then there was a Tom Curran, Tom Carroll era that was there. And then it became sort of our era uh, behind them. Um, And then there's been a few since, obviously. Uh, And I think that you have to, you have to think you don't know it all. You have to, because it just changes the perception of what's good and, and, and the equipment and all these different things change and everyone's trying harder. There's so many more better people now at the top in all, I think in all sports, mm. I, I, the, the cream does always rise to the top. So if you're going to start any year on the world tour, I think it's still the same as it ever was in a way because the top, there's only about four, maybe six people at the beginning of the year that you really think can win a world title. And it's always been that way since the early days. And then when you get halfway through the year, it's like, okay, there's three guys that might win the world title this year. But then the levels below that now are really great because the, the, the guys who are world title contenders, they can reasonably lose any heat in any round to the guys below them. Because if those guys yeah. pick the right waves or they... Everyone knows how to surf a heat better now. Not everyone's out partying until five in the morning and not sleeping before their heats like they were when I got on tour and I was taking advantage of those guys. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a different game and people take it seriously. And you have trainers and coaches and guys are studying this whole game. And when I got on tour, they weren't. I was, but they weren't like I was. And so I, I saw it as an opportunity to take full advantage of all these things people weren't doing um, so to stay, to stay relevant and competitive with those people, you, you have to, um, 
you have to be willing to change and be open to the change. And, uh, and it's strange when your favorite surfers or athletes in anything, um, influences are become younger than you as opposed to the older guys, because Mm. it, it, for me, it went from guys much older to me when I was eight years old to, you know, then when I'm 20, it's still the older guys. And when I'm 25, it became all my friends. So at about 25 to 30, then it started to become my favorite surfer started to become either my age or younger. And they weren't any more the young, the older guys. So that's been quite a while now. So basically for the last so, 20 years, my favorite surfers have been younger guys. And, and do you ever, have you ever had a time in your career in more recent times? I don't know. And if you haven't, I'm sorry for the question, where you're looking at a competitor in the water for the first time thinking, shit, I don't know if I can do that. Or you haven't got to that point. Yeah, I've had that a couple of times. But... I haven't had that over the course of a year. I've had that at cert- in certain heats, certain conditions, certain certain contests. But no, over the course of a year, I haven't yet had that because I, I just don't think that's. I, I just know that's not the case in certain waves. Certain waves suit me as well as they suit any other person. Um, but if it comes to, you know, two foot waves, and I'm surfing against Felipe Toledo or maybe Italo Ferreira. It's 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 a the the deck the, the deck is stacked against me, and yeah, I know that yeah. you know, but but that's when you have to draw on different a different skill, and that's that's where you have to. Of course, you might need to get lucky a little bit, and you got to pick the right waves, and you got to have a game plan in the heat. There's a way to pace the the heat. Do you start out? Um, do, you, do you surf that heat offensively or defensively? Are you? Are there a lot of waves? So it gives a ton of opportunity. Are there a few waves? And if there are a few waves, I got to be on the best ones. But if there's a lot of opportunity, it's a shootout, and you got to just lay it all on the line and be willing to just die by the sword. You know, like let somebody, sure. let somebody beat you, not not let them beat beat you, but just go. Hey, they were the better guy. I, I was watching Tom Brady the other day making his way to another Super Bowl. I'm sure. You know Tom. I don't know if you play golf with Tom. I don't know who you hang out with, mate, but he sounds like the type like you'd hang out with. He's obviously delayed the onset of reduction in performance. How have you, through, I don't know, diet, spirituality, health, fitness, mindset, it's a pretty broad question I'm asking you here, how have you delayed that ageing process? Is that a fair question? Yeah, I've just been doing cryogenically freezing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny by you, Kelly. <laughs> Freeze yourself in the off season. No, look, um, yeah, Tom. Tom is like ancient in in terms of uh, quarterbacks in American football. Uh, yeah, but you're you're ancient in the terms of competitive surfers as well. Well, I'm ancient in terms of athletes in general. I mean, I'm five yeah. years I'm five years older than Tom is. How have you done that? I don't know. I just love surfing more than anything, you know. And that's my outlet. Compe- competition has been my outlet. So, I've I've just figured out it's a, it's there's something exciting about it for me still each year that I do it. And there's an, a different challenge, and um, I like a challenge. I like to figure out a challenge. I, it, it, to me, it's a puzzle. It's like a, a, a game I'm trying to sort out. But um, that also keeps you youthful, and it keeps you young. you got to figure out ways to take care of yourself and, and um, 
alleviate the, uh, minimize the injuries and, and alleviate any of the pain or injuries that you've had in, in the past, rehab them, um, give yourself some time to rest and sleep and push at the right times. You know, you don't, you don't go a hundred percent every day. You go a hundred percent on the days you need to, and you go maybe 75% in the days leading up to that. And, um, <clears throat> uh, I've also studied a lot of diet and, uh, age related stuff over, um, you know, years ago I was really studying people who lived to be a hundred years old or more and they weren't top athletes. You know, they weren't the people putting a million calories through their body every year. They were, they were the people who were living pretty calmly and patiently and putting the right nutrients in, replenishing what you put out. Um, so just being mindful of those things, trying not to overeat or overindulge or, you know, die in some stupid accident. <laughs> so try and, uh, try and try and break it down for me in a short form, like a 20-second answer for each of these things that pop into my head, um, if, you, if you're happy, to um, – to help with your longevity, what's the most important thing you've done with your diet in 20 seconds? Don't overeat and try to cut, cut certain things out and occasionally do a, a fast or a detox. What about physical preparation? Uh, body work. The thing you're preparing for, work specifically on that. The type of weight, for me, it's going to be the type of waves and the type of equipment I'm going to be on. So do you lift weights or run or do cardio work or you just surf? Um, I occasionally do something that helps me with my cardio, something that I enjoy, which would be like swimming, body surfing, that kind of thing. I don't really specifically, specifically like cross training very much. I don't find it fun or whatever. It's, it's not enjoyable for me. Um, I did do some of that throughout my career, but as of now, I don't do a lot of it. So I try to surf a ton. When I get to Hawaii in the wintertime, I surf a whole lot and I put on extra muscle. My cardio gets good by, by the fact that I'm in big surf a lot. So we've talked diet, we've talked physical preparation and mental approach. How have you stayed mentally strong and fresh? Just do your best to forget the past um, or learn from the past. Um, try, try your best not to hold on to it. Like have the... Uh, have the, the mind of uh, like a child when it comes to being excited about something. That is a fantastic, fantastic approach. What about, do you take a spiritual side to, to your physical and mental preparation? A spiritual side? Um, yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I would, I mean, I'm not a religious person. Um, so it's it's not that type of spirituality, but no. you know I feel that, that we're all here for a purpose, um, whether it's for ourselves or for other people, and <clears throat> I I feel like I fit into this world, you know I feel like I was meant to do the things I do, and I have to figure what those are, figure out what those are, and follow those, and that's just a feeling. You've been fantastic with your time. Can I just indulge you for a little bit longer? Sure. The wave pool. Yep. When did someone come to you and say, we've got this idea that turned into the surf ranch and what did you think about it? Um, well, it was kind of my idea with my partner. Right. So, uh, but, but no, the first, in about 2004 or five, uh, my, my old 
surf coach and surfboard shaper and mentor, a guy named Matt Keckley in Florida. He called me and he said, I saw this technology for this wave creation, this wave machine. And he said, I think you should get involved and like, check it out, go see the guy and talk to him. And I had, I think we all had a fascination as a kid with the idea that you could make a really great wave somehow, whether you yes. build a reef or a sandbar or whatever, you know, uh, sandbags or something, or you make a machine or you got a boat that makes a wave on the side of the river or whatever. Yeah. But I started, I went and met this guy and I got kind of fascinated with it and I started to learn his technology. I, I, uh, this guy's name was Kevin Roberts and <clears throat> he lived in Florida and he had, he had this idea for this circular wave, uh, circular wave machine. So the wave would just keep going and going and going around like a donut shaped pool, right? <laughs> and breaking around the inner island. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really genius. I, I, and and uh, so I, I, um, I optioned his technology and we studied it. And within a pretty short period of time, we realized that the technology he had wasn't gonna work for what we wanted to do. Um, so we, we sort of pivoted and we started studying other technologies, but I still had the idea that I wanted to use that donut shaped pool. Um, but then we, we realized that the currents in it would keep moving faster and faster until you weren't really getting the friction of a wave. Um, you know, and then if you, if you sent a wave back the other way against the current, you would kind of use that to build the wave up bigger. But eventually you would start to get this kind of lazy, we call it a lazy river, where the, the, the water just keeps moving. Um, if you ever surf one of the point breaks on the Gold Coast, that south yes. swell, southeast swell, yep. you know, you're like a fish in the sand, you're like a salmon in the stream going upstream trying to paddle back out. So that's the what it, that what ends up happening with the sweep. The water just starts going and in, in revolving in this circle. And um, so then you lose, start to lose the quality wave. So we, we ended up canning that idea um, ultimately. And um, I, I think there could be a way that it could be done possibly, but it's just a, it's an engineering feat and it's, it's going to cost a lot of money. And, and, you know, what if you build it and it's not quite what you wanted? It, so we didn't end up, going that route and taking that risk. My partner, a guy named Jeff, um, he likes to kind of be a secret. He, he doesn't want to be front and center. So Jeff's my partner and Jeff was an ex pro water skier. And he said, hey, there's all these defunct properties. There's no such thing as pro water skiing anymore. There's all these properties that have water rights and they got the permit and they have the electricity. And I think <laughs> we could go buy one of these and build our wave there. And he goes, we've been trying to search for money for, from people forever and no one's coughing it up. Everyone loves the idea, but they, it's like they want to see it first. He goes, we got to build it. And so he and I put our money up and, and decided to buy this property 100 miles from the coast. Are we talking a little bit of money or a lot of money? Um, well, the property was a little bit of money, but the, 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 the project was a lot of money. Um, <laughs> in fact, I literally, I literally looked at it and went, you know what? I'm going to lose everything I've ever made possibly or a, a huge chunk of it, but I'm going to. So take, you put your nuts right on the line. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. We had to take that risk. I mean, it was, wow. I, I was like, there's going to be millions of dollars. Um, and we're going to have to risk that in order to see this through. And, and I said to Jeff, I said, look, Jeff, I trust you. Um, and he, he said, I trust you. He goes, is this going to work? And I said, it's going to work. And he goes, all right, then I'm willing to put my money up if you're willing to put your money up and let's do this. And so we started, that's how we started. And then we, we got someone to finance it for us um, once we started to build it. So, so when, when you built it and you went through the process, 
Take me to the day, and I'm no technical genius by any stretch. Take me to the day that you, you know, there's obviously modelling and all these plans, but take me to the day, Kelly, when your money's on the line and you flick the switch on for want of a better time term and what comes out. Well, I was in Fiji when the first waves were run, so I flew to Fiji for a week, a week or two trip that I was doing every year for a long time. And uh, I knew that early in that week when I left, they were going to start testing the wave. But <laughs> what they did was, you know, the, the wave goes up to 100% um, of speed. But what they started to do was like, okay, we're going to run it at 5%, and then we're going to run it at 7%, and then at 10%. And we're going to do each one a few times, and then that, that and and eventually they built it up to like forty percent or fifty percent before they ever even saw like a waveform on the thing. And when they were at like thirty or four, maybe maybe it wasn't until forty percent they started to see like forty uh, percent uh, of the speed they started to see a little bit of a wake. Um, so I guess I guess the first few times they ran, they were just like, "Oh shit, this thing might not work." <laughs> but but then it started to work and then each successive percentage higher they went in order to break the machine in, you know, like a car. It, yes. We run on a motor. So <clears throat> they, um, yeah, they just started to break it in more and more and take their time. And then Jeff started sending me video clips of the wave and I started tripping out. I was in Fiji surfing my favorite wave in the world. And I left there a day early to fly back and surf this thing. And for two, maybe two solid days, they were running proper size waves like overhead waves in 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 our way in our in our pool, and um, <clears throat> legally we're supposed to call it a lake, it's called the Surf Lake. Um, no, but somebody has the name Surf Lake, so I won't call it Surf Lake. I'll call it our Surf Ranch. <laughs> but you don't have to edit any of that. That um, we we uh, sorry, my mind's spinning because we went through we jumped through so many hoops. I mean, the reason I even said that was because whether it's a pool or a lake, there's a different rule around how you filter the water and different legalities around the permitting and all that kind of stuff. So there's just so many red flags and red tape to get through. Um, so you paddle, like, t- tell me about the first time you paddle. Are you the first person to surf it? Has someone surfed it before you or are you the first? So I told Jeff, I said, look, Jeff, I'm not there for 48 hours, like catch a wave. And he goes, I refuse to catch a wave. You're going to catch the first wave. What a bloody legend Jeff is. What a legend Jeff's Jeff is. Man. Yeah, Jeff's the man. And and I was like, man, I, I feel bad about that. You're watching this. That, that's like you're, you've been starving for a month and there's food in front of you and you won't eat until your friend shows up. I'm like, you're crazy. And <clears throat> I was like, you paid for this thing just like I did, you know, just whatever. And and um, he goes, nope, I'll body surf it, but I won't surf it. And he jumped in and body surfed a few waves. So I flew back and the, the night before I just couldn't sleep. I was so tired and jet lagged from flying from Fiji. And I think I got two or three hours of sleep in a hotel and we got up before daybreak and we drove out there and there was no wind and it was just beautiful. And the sun was rising and we ran the, we flicked the switch and ran the first wave. And I, I started crying. Actually, I started welling up with tears. I was like, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. This is so crazy. This is exists. Like I started imagining when I was a kid, we used to go and wake surf behind the boat, holding the rope, trying to surf the wake. Right. And it was like such a fun thing to do in the summer because we had no waves. And my mind went straight back to that. And I was like imagining like, gosh, how fun was that as a kid? I used to do that with my brother, Sean. And I was thinking there's no way like 
can you can I believe I'm in this place in my life? You know, it was Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, and and uh, <laughs> I was Charlie, and I was given the keys to the factory. You know, and um, and and it, it's it's also funny because that was my favorite movie growing up, and and when we and. As a side note, when we ran the wave, the water was chocolate brown because of the, yes. because of the dirt in the area, and we didn't have the filtration system right to be able to get rid of that. So it it really the metaphor ran rampant for a long time because I gave out golden tickets to people to come surf and stuff. <laughs> it's really funny. It was just a fun thing to play with, but um, yeah, it was an unbelievable moment in my life to flip that switch on and and see it run, and uh, I didn't know. I really didn't know what to do because I was with about 40 people. There's about 30, 40, maybe even 50 people there that day, friends and family and filmers and coworkers and stuff and people who helped create the thing. And as they filmed it, I'm sitting there watching it and I realized everyone else has moved back behind the cameras and they're filming me. And I turn around and I was like, like I can feel it right now. Like I almost want to cry again because I was like so full of emotion. <laughs> oh my god! No way! What? I didn't know what to do with it because I'm not a very expressive person. I'm not a very ext- extroverted person when I'm not surfing. Um, like on land, I'm pretty sort of reserved for the most part, and I, I just didn't. I was like, I don't even know what to think right here because. It also wasn't only mine, you know? It was my manager, and it was Jeff, and it was Sam, and it was Dirk, and it was, like, all these other people that helped create this thing. It was Adam, who came up with the science in the first place, and um, Kyle, who managed the the, 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 the construction, and, uh, you know, all these other people that, that helped make it. And, um, and, and that focus was all on me because I was going to ride that first wave that morning. And um, so... <laughs> the first wave couldn't have been any more perfect. I'll tell you that much. I jump in the water and I say to Noah, who is uh, the manager at the wave company, I said, Noah, where's the first, where does the wave break? Because, I, you know, we, the thing starts out and then eventually a wave builds up and it starts to break. And I said, where's the big break? And he goes, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I think right there and at that pole, like right over, you know, at this, at this place. And I was, okay, because I want to take off at the first moment the wave starts to break, you know, I want to like, I want to, I want to ride the whole wave. And, um, he goes, yeah, yeah, it starts to, it starts to break right there. And so I had no concept of what this thing was. I had, I had watched two waves break from 500 yards away and I didn't know where to sit or where to be or anything. So I, and the water was, um, just to give you an idea, the water was, uh, about 10 degrees, um, freezing cold. So I put on my wetsuit, my gloves and my booties and, jump in the water and I paddle over and I'm waiting and they do this countdown and they're going to send the wave and they send the wave. And it, it, it's a weird thing when the wave first comes because it builds up so quickly at the last second before it breaks. So I'm seeing like nothing. I'm like, where's the wave? Where's the wave? The machine's going. I know that the, the swell is going to come and then the swell starts to appear and it crosses the pool in my vision like this, you know, and it kind of goes across the pool at like a 45 degree angle away from you uh, coming at you. And it's, it starts to build up and it's coming to, to me and I start to paddle and I, I start paddling really fast because it hasn't broken yet. And uh, 
and, and I sort of catch it and I stand up and the wave breaks off in front of me and peels away and I fall. It's no one's ever seen that video. You fell <laughs> I, on the first one. I fell. I didn't I fall. I didn't even fall. It just broke in front of me and pat, it didn't let me ride the face of the wave. Right, so you I got didn't caught where, behind. Because I didn't know where to sit. So I'm actually, I actually want to go and like, you know, everyone sees the glory shot. You know, everyone sees yeah. the, everyone sees the, uh, you know, the next wave I rode perfectly all the way. I got barreled and I did an air reverse and, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was great. But, um, <laughs> but the very first wave ever ridden was, I totally blew it. <laughs> because when that uh, that's the true story that, no one sees the well, true story I, I like the true story because mate when the clip went out I can picture it everyone that I know that surfs had sent the link within 30 seconds and it was like it didn't seem real it looked like the animation because you said it was chocolate brown there was no wind you're in your full rubber and it was if you were sitting in year nine economics board and you were drawing the perfect wave like that's what you were creating. It was, it broke the internet, Kelly. I didn't know you stuffed the first one, but it broke the internet nevertheless. Yeah. I think, it, you know, if I show that clip, it won't be so exciting. It won't go viral. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. Have you, have you still got any of those golden tickets left or has the book run out? Uh, you know what I do? As, as the days come up, or the people that are on the list that haven't gotten or whatever, I, I leave it to the last second to call them and say, hey, can you be there tomorrow or in three days or whatever? Um, because I, I keep trying to get in people who haven't been there. And um, I, I still have this long tally somewhere of people that that each time I go, I try to get in a few new people that haven't been, you know, or like people I work with that I know would love to go or like some kid who doesn't have the chance and he can't afford it. Like there's... A, so there's there's always this like list running through my head, and, and um, it's become kind of a problem actually. Uh, I bet. If you can imagine, I bet. yeah, yeah. <laughs> More of Kelly in a moment. We've been lucky enough on the show to feature plenty of other surfers: Lane Beachley, episode fifteen; Mick Fanning, episode twenty-seven; Joel Parkinson, episode sixty-one; Garrett McNamara, big wave rider, on episode eighty-five; and Sally Fitzgibbons on episode eighty-nine. We were also lucky enough in episode 68 to feature dual world champion Tom Carroll, a man who had it all, lost it all when he was consumed by drug addiction and now clean and happy has it all again. I, I didn't mind the cocaine. <laughs> you know, it sort of lifted me above the line. But it uh, and, and it was a problem for me for sure in the earlier um, in through the 90s. What does that mean, lifted you above the line? Yeah, well, it's sort of my... My feeling around things, I'd sort of feel like I was a little bit below the line. A little in my, in my nature, I'd be slightly depressed. Okay. You know, any kind of slight sort of, you now know, I and and I, I mean. and 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 a lot of the highs of of my sport and and my career kind of took me to those really big highs and above the line, above the line a lot. And and surfing actually helps me stick stay above the line. It's pretty pretty cool the way the ocean does that and, and actually saved my ass <laughs> in many, many ways but uh, and still does. But it's um, to sort of keep that thing going, to you know, and have that feeling that I could take something to keep me going and it be sort of freely given to me at early days uh, um, and have the taste of it 
uh, I didn't know that down the track that that energy that I was using to win, to drive myself forward, to succeed, to, you know, and then to mix that in with a narcotic that was linked into another part of my psyche that was, you know, that was gripping onto it, like, and started to sort of... I wanted to get control of other things in my life, but I couldn't. That is Tom Carroll on episode 68 of the show. Check it out. Back to Kelly. I just want one final theme to explore with you, and that's that's the theme of fame. You went on... I don't know how long ago it was, my first understanding of who Kelly Slater was, and you'll shake your head at this, a young bloke growing up in the country, was when you were on Baywatch as Jimmy Slade? Is it Jimmy Slade? Jimmy Slade. And that was the first thing I thought when I saw that. I was like, wow, it'd be cool to learn to surf. I grew up in the country. There was no surfing. And that was sort of what sparked it in me. When you went on that as Jimmy Slade, which was a worldwide show. I mean, it was the biggest show in the world, David Hasselhoff, et cetera, et cetera. How did that change your level of fame in your general day-to-day life? I noticed it more in other countries, not so much like at home or whatever, you know, because I mean, look, we shot that thing in L.A. And um, uh, and it it wasn't winning awards. um, You know what I mean? So it was fantastically popular, though. It has to be win awards to be good. No, I know. But what I'm saying is like. It wasn't like some giant hit. Uh, Maybe like. It maybe wasn't in America what it was overseas. You know what I mean? So it was like the number it was one. Massive. They say it was the number it was one show in the here. world. But it, it was enormous in Australia. Yeah, I don't think it was in America. I mean, guys tuned in to try to see chicks on it, or whatever. But it was. Um, <laughs> in all honesty, I was embarrassed I was on the show. But I can't right now because I'm on duty. So can I wait? Summer, I thought we had something special. We did, you know, and then you left. I got exactly one phone call and two postcards. What was I supposed to do? Wait, like I did. Wait? Is that what you did? Wait? Yeah, that's what I did. You know, you don't know how many times people came up to me with these surfing magazines. The pictures of you winning these tournaments surrounded by girls in little thong bikinis. (laughs) Sure, I had opportunities, but I didn't cheat on you, not once. I don't know, I wasn't comfortable with it because... I wanted to be a world champion surfer. I wasn't trying to be um, a movie star, a TV actor or something, you know, that wasn't really, that wasn't my goal in life. And my manager, my then manager wanted me to be a movie star and an an actor. And he was, he was trying anything he could to kind of coax me into going that direction. And he used to tell people, you know, someday people are going to remember Kelly Slater that he, that he used to surf before his career happened. And I was like, this guy, fuck this guy, you know? And, and um, it used to piss me off when he said that. And, and it actually, it, it quickened the time it took me to quit the show, which was in the second right. season. And, um, and uh, you know, it was, a, it was a, 
Yeah, that was like a kind of a coming of age moment for me because my mom really wanted me to do the show and be on the show. And that was that was one time when um, when I was younger, my mom was happy with me just surfing and doing all that. But then when I was on that show and I quit and I told my mom and she got really upset with me, she's like, you don't know what's right for you and your future. You don't know what your future holds and that kind of thing. And I was like, no, I know what my future holds. I want to be a world champ. Like, that's my thing. Like, I was already once, and, like, I'm going to go do it again. But the second year I was on the show, I lost the world title, and I was distracted by a lot of things, and a whole bunch of weird things in my life happened that year. And and that was part of, like, writing the ship was to get off the show for me, for what I wanted, you know? And it and I look back at it now, and it's funny because I, I copped a lot of shit from people for being on that show in the surf world. They're like, oh, it's so goofy and whatever. And they'd make fun of my name and all that kind of stuff. And then I started realizing the years after that, every time any kind of show or TV thing or movie or whatever popped up, people were like running over each other to get it. And I was like, oh, man, like I didn't even want to be there. Um, but so a lot, I think a lot of people are giving me crap about it. And I was kind of, I was just insecure about it, you know? I was like, yeah, I, I'm, I know I'm not like some great actor and I probably blew my lines and I look kind of, silly having a character with a name pretty close to mine and um you know i didn't want i said i wanted him either to to make the character be me myself as a surfer yep. or complete or have the name not anywhere close and um they named it they named the character jimmy slade because of jimmy's jimmy z which was a clothing company in the surf world jimmy ah. and then and then the guy wanted it to be like some kind of rela- something relatable for me so he the guy who named my character thought oh i would kelly would really like this so he didn't do it in for any other reason but that but like he felt he he saw a connection to surfing through jimmy's jimmy z and then thought it would be close to my name so um but i i think i was uncomfortable with it too just because i i wanted to just surf and i didn't want to do that and i <laughs> uh when I went for the casting to to get on the show, which, I mean, if I if I was smart about it, I wouldn't even have gone to the casting. But I I went to the casting and I did such a bad job. I kept I, I was real nervous. I remember like sweating in the in the in the casting and like forgetting my lines and like reading like reading lines and forgetting them because I was so nervous. And then I, I walked out of there and I was like, oh, I did so bad. There's no way they're going to pick me anyway. So it's all good. And, and then I was kind of happy. <laughs> and then and then I got the call, like, I don't know, a few weeks later, like, hey, they loved you. They want you on the... I'm like, man, how bad is this show going to be if they thought I was good? <laughs> <laughs> but Kelly, like, look at it. I just want to change your perspective for a moment. You've inspired a lot of people to surf because what you've done. But... Imagine how many kids that have grown up a million miles from the beach like me or in the back blocks of South Africa or in Israel or in Malawi or Nepal yeah, that I know. saw that yeah, show. Yeah, it's, it's Germany and, 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 and Italy. It, and, yeah. yeah. So imagine all those kids that saw that like me and thought, I want to learn to surf and then were able to join the ocean community and love the ocean as a result of you seeing seeing you on that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but that's a lot of people you've brought to the ocean. I don't think it was done the right way. Okay. 
Okay, that's a whole different You know what I mean? So, like, to me, yeah. it wasn't, like, authentic surf. Like, I'm an authentic surfer, obviously. I'm a, a, yeah. a world champ and that kind of thing. So they got a person who could surf, and it wasn't somebody pretending they could surf to do a show. So in that way, that was authentic. But it wasn't showing the authentic surf experience. So for me, that was like a bastardization of what surfing is. It was like, oh, they show Kelly no wetsuit on so you could see his chest. And then he comes up on the beach and he kisses some chick he just met. And that was like <laughs> this, the plot line, you know. And then there's like some Says dream right sequence where, you know, then that night there's like a, a, a dream sequence where they're in a cool, uh, pool underwater kissing. And um, it didn't really happen. It was just a dream that this girl had. And, you know, and then he goes and he fights this octopus that's stealing surfboards in a cave. I mean, come on. Like that, take my perspective. So, okay. you know, even okay. when they did, even when they did CPR, it used to piss me off. I used to yell at the writers and the directors and people thought I was crazy on the set because I would yell at the bosses and they were like, you know, they were looking at me like, dude, like, we're just happy to have this job. You're like, you're going to get fired. And I was like, fire me, please. Because <laughs> they would do CPR. Right. And, and I'll just yeah. show you like, so they'd be doing CPR like this. Your elbows bent. That's not how you do CPR. Right. That's like, no. and then the then they would do like a couple pumps on the chest, and the person would cough water up, and then start talking. And I'm like, the problem for me is like everything on the show is so unrealistic and stupid. It's it's like in terms of that, it's almost dangerous. And, and but it was just so silly. It was just so silly to me. And for that reason, I just felt embarrassed about it. And so that was why it was really hard for me. Um, when people would bring the show up for for the you know those couple of years I was on it especially, but even for a couple of years after, I would kind of cower like, oh, I don't even want to talk about that. But I I don't care now. Like I look back at it and I go, fuck, I wouldn't do anything different because actually it was pretty rad. Like look, I I probably wouldn't have been as famous as I got because of the show or whatever. I don't really care about that, but. From that, I've been able to have a really fun life and do a lot of cool things and meet a lot of great people and have yes. experiences I would have never had any other way. Um, maybe related to because of that somehow. I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, it did broaden the, the, the scope of um, of surfer, of, of people seeing surfing and all that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I used to go to France afterwards and I was so famous there. It was it was wild, man. I felt like I was a beetle. Like, um, you know, there was a time in 98, I was traveling through France and I was traveling with, um, I was traveling with Jack Johnson and Jack was filming a movie and no one knew Jack at all. Like that no one had, any, Jack hadn't released a song. He had never even recorded a sing, a, a solo song before at this point. He had, he had written all his first album, but no one had heard it. Um, besides his friends, um, we had to talk Jack into recording that thing pretty much. But wow! Um, but Jack was traveling with me, and and he was filming this around this contest and stuff. And we were trying to leave this contest, and it was just me and him in a car, and he had his camera. And people were pounding on my windows and screaming my name, and girls were crying and like taking pictures. And there were hundreds of people around the car, like literally, they would be shaking my car and stuff. And I was just like, man, I feel like. I'm trapped in hell. I hated it for a while. I, I, in, in certain situations there in Brazil um, and, and in Australia, I was so well known for a time back then in the 90s that it, it was really painful and um, hard for me because I didn't like that. I was a very shy kid. Um, 
when when I used to do pictures for the local newspaper when I was a teenager, I would make them go to a beach where there wasn't a single person on the beach because I was too embarrassed to do pictures in front of people. So it was really um, really hard to then be thrust in, in the limelight worldwide. Um, I wanted to be known. I had no problem being known for my surfing. I had a problem being known as a guy who was an actor that surfed. Okay, yeah. Two more, last two questions. Yeah. Um, because I could go on for another three hours, but I'm sure you couldn't. So I, the the WSL at the moment, obviously last year, 2020, due to COVID, wasn't able to take place. I'm not exactly sure what's happening as far as 2021 goes. Obviously, travel is restricted. Are you still a surfer on the WSL? Are you still seeing yourself as competing when it fires up again? Like this is the million dollar I'm third in the world right now, dude. <laughs> well, exactly. I know this. I know you are. I know no, you are, dude. So we we um we didn't have the sunset contest we were supposed to have. Like just it, it would be finishing right around now or this week. Yes. Um and then Santa Cruz got cancelled, but we are we are due to fly to Australia uh in about six five weeks from now. And then do all of our quarantine together and then have some yes. time to warm up and then have Bell's Beach contest. Um, and, uh, I can tell you the last two weeks of March, you're not going to want to surf at Bell's beach. Cause there's going to be the whole tour there <laughs> practicing. Right, right. Um, I, I struggle to get a wave at Bell's without the world surf tour there. So I might give those two. Yeah. Weeks but, um, so we're going to have at least three events in Australia and possibly four. They're trying to work in a fourth right now. Um, cool. but there's going to be some issues around traveling interstate, I think. We'll see. Well, the, the way, yeah, it's it's changing day by day, but the, as time progresses, the country is opening up more and more and more. So at the moment, you would be able to go from the Gold Coast, you'd be able to go to Manly. You'd, yeah, you'd be able, uh, WA's meant to change in a week and a half, yeah, to go to Margaret River. Yeah, so yeah. it'll just be around that. And then, you know, the, there's going to be, if any guys on tour or girls on tour um, catch COVID, you know, while at the event around everyone else or whatever, then that can cause huge issues and shut the whole tour down. So I yes. don't, I, I couldn't, if I had to predict right now, I'd say it's 50-50 we could do a tour this year. Because but if there's a tour, if yes. there's a tour, you, you plan to be there? Currently, yes. And are you competing to go and have fun or are you competing because you still think you can win it? Um, well, it's both. It's a blend of both. And right. um, and it's it's uh, there's there's also I know that people um, I want to say this the right way I, I know people because I hear this from people daily they've drawn inspiration guys around my age you know guys that are um, in their forties in their fifties um, that even guys in their thirties who have gotten fat and sat on the couch for too long and stopped surfing as much and they're not in good shape. And they've all just said, man, you know, from what you've done, it's really made me get off my butt and do things and start surfing more. Yes. And, and yes. so I think when people push further, like what Tom Brady's doing, like what you're saying about Tom and, and I don't know Tom well, but we know each other enough and, and I messaged with him, you know, last couple of games he won, I messaged him. It was like, man, I'm so stoked for you. He responded yesterday and, and just said, thanks so much. And, um, I, I told him a little story. Uh, as a kid, I grew up as a Buck fan. Yeah, my team was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when I was a little kid. And so <laughs> if I ever had to pick a team, it was the Bucks. 
And it's just so strange that in this twist of fate that Brady is going to finish his career as a Tampa Bay Buck and maybe win the maybe win the Super Bowl is the only home team to ever play at their own stadium for a Super Bowl. Mm. It's like, I think it's, I didn't even know that. I, I think it's hard for people to relate to what that means because we have so many teams in the, in the States, but no yes. one's ever won in their home stadium. And, um, or you, I think maybe even played in their home stadium. But Haven't played, no. Yeah, no one's ever won for sure. <clears throat> and for him to come and bring a team that's never been in that position, to sh- that shows how great Tom Brady is, you know? And, um, you know, to bring that whole team up like that. Of course, he was able to reformulate a little bit, bring a couple people with him, I guess. But, but um, it's re- it's remarkable. And um, you know, I, I think anyone who enjoys sport, even if it's not a sport that you do yourself or that you follow growing up, if you can get that story and and know what it is, that's inspiring. And um, you know, he's probably going to do something no one's ever done before. And when the Super Bowl ended, the ball would be in the hands of Tom Brady. I don't know why we ever think it won't. This guy just changes the mold of the way we think and continues, and there's Spagnuolo telling him. I have no answers for you tonight. That's what he's saying. So are you continuing to surf competitively then part of that to inspire? Because that is, um, that's a... There's no pure reason to go and compete than to inspire other people around you. Like, that's... That's as wonderful as it could be. Well, I, I, I feel like for some amount of years now, I've been doing it more for the tour than, you know, and just for that yeah. whole thing more so than myself. Like, I, I'm not doing it for the money. Um, you know, I, I, I could probably make more money if I wasn't on tour, to be honest with you. Um, mm. You know, I do it because it, it helps me keep myself at a certain level. And... Um, you know, people do say they get inspired by it and that feels nice. And, you know, spiritually, yes, you, when you're doing things for other people um, on, on some level, as long as it suits you as well, um, if you're doing it for other people, that's a good thing. And um, so, yeah. But is 12 still there? Like, you've got 11. You joked at the start about, oh, you got cost you 12. Is that, like, can you... It, are you still that competitive that you think, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly and I can win a 12th and then a 13th and then, I don't know, like, where does it stop, Kelly, and how does it stop? Can, is that why you're still going? Well, this will be 10 years since I won a world title, so, I mean, i got to face the music at some point. Um, yep. Um, I also couldn't tell you the last time I put in a 100% year, and so I'm, I'm struggling with myself um, as to whether... I'm going to do that and surround myself with a team, you know, with the, the body work and the nutrition and everything I need, getting the right sleep. Like there's a lot of discipline that goes in and I've been disciplined for 35 years competitively, mm. you know, like from my amateur career through my pro career. And I'm kind of tired. <laughs> you Fair know, enough. Like that discipline's tiring over such a long period of time. And I'm trying to just kind of muster up that, like, can I just get myself completely to where like everything my like my boards are right i choose the right boards and equipment on the day um i'm getting the right amount of sleep and body work and eating the right things i'm not just going around to these places enjoying the social aspect of you know the dinners you can have out and the places you miss that you didn't get to eat at last time and it's a it's a hard thing it's a hard thing to balance in that way um it's it's easier when you haven't done it before not not having traveled but it's it's 
it's, it's easier when you haven't accomplished your goal to let that focus discipline you. You know what I mean? So, um, and it's not so much resting on your laurels, but it's like, let me enjoy a little more of what each of these places have to offer and the people and the experience. And so it's a little bit of a, I, I felt like a, a few of the years now have been a victory lap to, to, uh, to, to kind of soak that in a bit more. Um, and, uh, I, I also do struggle around the contest. Um, there's generally not many places to surf without a lot of people out. So I, I definitely struggle. A couple of years ago, I went to France and during the whole waiting period of the surf contest, I surf, I free surfed two times in the two weeks I was there. Um, just because there were so many people around and surfing and, and, um, it, it, it's, it's just a struggle to be in the water with so many people because you, you want to get in your flow, you know, you want to get, get your waves and work out your equipment and you don't want to be frustrated by some little Brom who snaked you or some old guy who's mad that you're surfing his local or, you know, um, and, and, and then finding a wave that's similar to the place you're surfing, the break you're going to yeah. be at. So, it, so your equipment suits right. And then, um, besides that, you got, you know, the 35 other pros on tour and the, uh, you know, 18 women uh, that are all all battling for that too. They're they're all trying to get that same thing accomplished. So <clears throat> it's a it's not all fun. It's not all glamorous and awesome. Um, and I, I, that's not, that's not to complain. It's just the reality of the situation that each of us has to deal with. So um, so when my friend Shane Dorian texts me yesterday uh, on a group text and he says, "Man, retired life is so awesome." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I'm not a little jealous, man. <laughs> He's snowboarding with his kid. You know, I'm thinking about like, am I getting ready for, do I got to start like really getting in top surf shape and surf ability over the next four weeks before I then go in quarantine for two weeks. And then I got two weeks to try and jump back on that ship and get back to my surf level. Um, so it, it's, I'm in a little bit of a, I'm struggling with myself a little bit right now around that. So I would say primarily the idea is that I'm doing it more for the inspiration of other people if they find it to be that. And um, that's kind of, that's probably good enough if I'm going to go do it, you know? Like, I'm I'm happy with 11. I was happy with 10, you know? I was happy with 7. I was happy with 6. It's, you know, you're ha- you just be happy with what you got. And... Um, yeah. As my nine-year-old says to me, Kelly, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Final question for you. Uh, talking about kids, we are blessed on this show to have a lot of kids listen, and I always finish this way. If You were you, going can, to beep, be- you can beat me on those uh, certain no, words. No, 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 no. No, I don't need to. I don't need to. Go back. Well, you not in Australia. In Australia, you don't need to because yeah. everyone talks no. like that. <laughs> no. you've, probably, you've probably listened to the Luke Longley episode already, but there's a fair bit of swearing on that one. I'm sure, I'm sure you've listened to that one. <laughs> um, for all the kids out there that want to dream big and they're inspired to do something, and I always say, whether it's to be a surfer or a pianist or an engineer or a chemist or a singer that want to achieve their dreams as you have yours, what piece of advice could you give the young minds out there to hold on to that might help them on their journey? It's probably the hardest question I've asked you in the entire podcast because there's a responsibility with the answer. 
Well, you have to be completely enmeshed in the passion you have for that thing. If you're going to be the best at something, you got to be more passionate than anyone else. You got to be obsessive about it. And if you're not, you're not going to be the best at it. So that's that's probably square one. Um, are you that in love with it, with that thing that you're going to make it your life? And there's nothing better than making the thing you love the most be your job. And um, um, and what you have to offer that is different than everyone else is that you're different than everyone else. And so you have to do it your own way. You have to, you have to not, you can in, be inspired by other people, what they've done, but you can't try and emulate someone else to the nth degree. You have to, if you're going to bring something new and inspiring and different, you got to do it, uh, in a way that no one else has. And that's, doing it the way you know to do it, not someone else told you to do it. And, um, you know, so that's, that's the beauty each person brings is something unique. And um, that's why you're not someone else. It's a great answer. Kelly, I mentioned earlier on that um, you set me on a path, which I'm forever grateful to you for, for giving me a good interview all those years ago. This has been outstanding. I've been hoping to get you on the show for quite a few years now. You've gone above and beyond with your time. Hey, good luck with the decisions you've got coming up with whatever your future may hold, uh, as long as it makes you happy. I'm sure the world will be pumped. We hope to see you here in uh, down at Bells getting some waves either way, but, mate, it's been a thrill to have you on the show. May the sun shine on you, and I really appreciate you coming on the Howie Games. You're a good man. Thank you very much. Thanks, bud. And, and uh, you know, I will say, I know it's probably an ongoing joke. It's been a long time since we've tried to work this out. Um, yeah. I wanted to, you know, I don't love doing a lot of these things. Um, I don't really have to buy my no. uh, contracts. You know what I mean? Um, so I like to do them because I want to do them. And, and uh, I also, if I'm going to do them, I like to give my attention to them, you know? So um, thanks for being patient and like letting the, the moment happen as it would, you know? No worries. Trev said to me, mate, just send him a text message once every six months. And when it is the right time, it will happen because, you know, he's very spiritual every six months so after like 30 of them we're here we are <laughs> yeah hey mate good on you thanks for coming on the show peace and love travel well we hope to see you out here soon good on you kelly thanks man what about that what about that kelly slater i'm not sure you can all have enjoyed that as much as i did but i hope you all took some positivity out of it For me, it was worth the wait. Four years working towards it, it was absolutely worth it. Thanks to Kelly for making my month. Actually, let's be honest, thanks to Kelly for making my year for appearing on the Howie Games. Thanks to Das for being as excited as I was when I sent him the file and he had no idea who the guest was until he opened it. And a very special thanks to a fellow by the name of Steve Herson. Now, Herso is a gun producer, runs the Big Bash at Fox Cricket. I've worked with him for a long time. And he also has the best contact book I've ever seen. The Ginger Cat, as he's known by those that love him, sorted out to come on the show was Imakram, Beefy, Mark Philippousis, and also was instrumental in Kelly appearing on the show. Thank you. I love you, brother. I always said after Kelly Slater there would be no more episodes of the show, but I just think we need to set the bar up again. Maybe Tom Brady. Maybe that'll take four years. We'll see how we go. Anyway, until next Thursday, with the truly remarkable Love Morton Door, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. 
Listener.